Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Everybody, welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? Excited, man. I love it. I'm glad somebody's glad to be here. So, hey, welcome, especially if you're a guest. We're so glad to have you worshiping with us today. And uh, All right, so we are in a series today. Today's part three of a series we've been doing, and this series is helping us understand Christmas better. Because what we're doing is we're taking these main passages out of the book of Galatians. We're looking at several different ones. And, and the bottom line with Galatians is a very simple book, and it's got one theme all through it. And so this is why it helps us understand Christmas. Because the theme of this book is that we are saved by faith alone in what Jesus Christ did for us. That's it. That's, that's the whole book. And we've talked about why we should all read the book because it's just six really short, simple chapters. You can do this in about 15 or 20 minutes. So in the four weeks that we're doing this, take some time, sit down, and uh, read through Galatians. So, uh, but as we've been doing this, we've been pulling out these different main passages. And, and it helps us understand that we are saved because of Jesus dying. His death makes us right with God. We also understand that faith in Jesus as the one who rose from the dead means we also have faith in eternal life. So you're not saved by following a bunch of rules and trying to be a really good person. And the problem, though, is if, if, if it doesn't matter what we do, then can we do just anything, right? That kind of becomes the question. And I'll be honest, when, when I was in high school, that's when I got saved, if you want to use that term. It's when I, I recognized Jesus, I died for me, I, I chose to make him the king of my life, and, uh, well, let's just say I made him the prince. Is that a better term? You know, come on, anybody, don't raise your hands, but you probably identify with this, where you, you're glad you're forgiven and going to heaven, but you still kind of struggle with some things you've been doing, and uh, then when I went off to college, I'd like to tell you that I, I turned to 180. The truth is, I actually started doing a few more things that I knew the Bible said don't do, and I knew God wouldn't want me doing. But I also hated myself for it. I hated this, this walking contradiction that I'd become. And, and I know there are some folks here today that uh, you've had the same struggle. Maybe you're having the same struggle right now, where we are glad we're forgiven. We are glad that we have God's love in our life already. We know that we're not saved by what we do, and yet there's this great tension for believers. We want to honor God, and yet we still have broken souls. We still have a human nature that struggles with some things. And so what we're going to look at today is one very simple question. How do we honor God and, and, and still have a broken human nature? How, how do we honor God while our souls are wanting us to do some completely different things? And so the main passage we're looking at today is actually in chapter 5, so that's the good news for those of you that like to follow along. We're not going to jump all over the place today. You can go ahead and turn to chapter 5. Everybody else is going to be on the screens right here beside me. And uh, we're going to begin actually with the sentence that we ended with last week. If you remember, we've been talking about all of these different uh, discussions that he's been having. And uh, he ended last week on this sentence at the beginning of chapter 5. And we're going to start there. And it was at the beginning of chapter 5, he says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm and don't go back again to a yoke of slavery. So again, if you're new to this series and what we've been talking about, Paul has been saying don't go back to following all of those rules to think you're going to be right with God. In particular, he had told them when they were worshiping pagan religions, don't do that. They started following Jesus, but then the Jews came along and said, no, that won't work either. You've got to be a Jew. 
And so he's saying, look, don't go back to the, the pagan worship. You didn't even know who the God was. And they'll, don't go back to these Jewish ways or start the Jewish ways. Uh, you, you need to, it's for freedom that Christ sets you free. And, and just a few verses later, it's really important that he brought this in too. Because this is one of those things that people just get really confused about. So if I'm free and Jesus died, I can do anything I want, Right? And when I used to teach school, and I had this one student that, uh, well, he was one student. Let's put it this way. I taught for 11 years, and he's still number one on the list. He was the kid that I would wake up and pray to God he was sick that day. <laughs> so, students, if you think you just pray about your teachers, trust me, your teachers pray about you too. It, it's, it's a mutual relationship. And uh, because I, I taught band, I had them for, for six years in middle school and, and in high school. And there was a point where I finally decided I was going to have a heart-to-heart -heart with him and I was going to get through to him. Oh, boy, was I wrong. Um, but I, I, I had the tactic because his dad was a pastor. And I knew his dad very well. His dad, funny, his dad was a former band director who became a pastor. So anyway, I, I, I took this kid aside and I just said, Look, why do you do the things you do? It, it drives me crazy. Why do you, you know God's not happy with this. And he looked at me with the greatest confidence and the biggest smile and said, it's okay, I'm forgiven. <laughs> and there are a whole lot of people that get Galatians 5.1. It's for freedom, Christ sets you free. Don't go back to the rules. But they don't keep reading. So jump ahead to verse 13, and I love that Paul puts these two together because we need to understand. He says, yeah, you were called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So don't go back to following rules to try to get right with God, but also don't think that this means that you can do absolutely anything you want. And this is where we really struggle. So don't use a set of rules to be right with God, but also don't let that be an opportunity to say, well, if being following rules doesn't make me holy then I don't have to follow any rules at all I'm gonna be holy anyway because I'm forgiven what a crazy situation Paul is dealing with I mean he sacrificed his time and his energy he risked his life to travel to share with these people who were worshiping all these pagan religions and were completely lost and on their way to hell and he risked his his life to go and share with them and so they stop being pagans they start being Jesus followers and then Jews come behind him when he leaves and try to turn them into Jews and so he's got this half of his people have said okay I'm going to become a good Jew and follow a bunch of rules and and I'm not going to really think about what Jesus did for me and the other half's going to be like who cares what Jesus did I'm just going to go and, and, and do anything I want now because Jesus died boy that would be just confusing it'd be like me standing up here one Sunday and preaching on kindness and saying hey as you leave today demonstrate kindness in the parking lot and then as soon as you get to the parking lot everyone starts blowing their horns at each other because you're not moving fast enough and a few of you wave a certain finger at everybody else and I'm going does anybody get what I'm talking about can you imagine how Paul feels and so this is probably the reason that Galatians is the strongest letter that he wrote, the strongest uh, language that he spoke in any of his letters. But the good news is that he gives an answer. So we're in verse 16. Here's his answer. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And, let, and let's unpack that phrase right there because, you know, sometimes it's a little confusing what that might mean. What he is saying by the desires of the flesh is the ordinary wants the ordinary desires of a human being that, look if you walk by the spirit you won't gratify the ordinary desires of human beings and his reasoning is very very simple everybody who makes jesus their king 
Everybody who makes Jesus their Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. That's, that's an undebated fact across all denominations. That's what the Bible says. That, that's just clear. If Jesus is your king, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And Paul is saying, therefore, if you follow the Holy Spirit, you won't do what ordinary humans want to do because you're not ordinary. Ordinary people are saying, where is God? Ordinary people are saying, I don't know. I don't have any answers. I don't know what the point of life is. I don't know what to do with my life. I don't, I don't know if there's a God. I don't know what that God would want. But you're not ordinary. And if you're not ordinary, then you're not going to focus on making an ordinary human happy. You're going to follow the Holy Spirit. So he explains it. The desires of the ordinary human are against the Spirit of God. And the desires of the Spirit of God inside of you are against what your ordinary human self wants. They're opposed to each other. And they're going to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Can anybody just say amen to that one? Like, amen. Thank you, Paul, that you, you understand struggle. Because the truth is the struggle is real. And if you just sit here this morning and go, oh, no, pastor, not me. I'm perfectly holy and good, and I never have a bad thought, and I'm never tempted. Just shut up. Because if you're telling the truth, we don't like you. And you're probably lying. We know you're lying. Okay, so j- just stop it. The struggle is, is very, very real. We are saved, we are going to heaven, we are forgiven, and yet we're still here. And as long as you're still here, you still have a human nature. And you still have broken things in your soul. And you still have broken people blowing their horn at you in traffic that elicits a response from you that's a little less than Jesus. And you still have those kinds of things going on. Yes, we're going to heaven, but we're still here. And so there's this war and this tension that we all face. And he says this really strange sentence that comes, almost comes out of place. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Like, wait a minute. Where's the word law? Why is that coming in? We talked about law a couple of weeks ago. That was in other chapters. Paul, I think you're a little confused. No, here, follow this. If you did go and read Galatians, uh, I've, I've suggested everybody read Galatians as we're going through this, right? And if you did, the, the two of you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'll be depressed. But if you did, you came across this word guardian, as a matter of fact, you came across an entire section that was probably a little confusing where he talks about for a season we were under a guardian, but now we're not under a guardian. And what it's like, Paul, what are you talking about? And what he means is this. What do guardians do now? Guardians make decisions for minors. We, we put a guardian in charge of someone that's not ready to make a decision for themselves. And he's simply saying the set of rules started with the Ten Commandments and then the Jews added a bunch more to it and so forth. That set of rules was a guardian. It told you what to do and what not to do in order to honor God. But now, now you don't need a guardian. You don't need a set of rules because you have the Holy Spirit. You have God himself living inside of you telling you, do, don't, right, left, go, stop. You don't need that guardian anymore. So he says, look, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under this guardian. You've you've been promoted beyond the guardian. And so then he, he says one of our least favorite passages in the Bible. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. Y'all know, you ever read the Bible and you read stuff and you just want to skip over it? You're like, that's a list of things. I don't want to know about that list. I don't want to read that list and that sort of thing. Everybody, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to read it. Is that okay? We, we all forgive me and just remember, I didn't write it. I'm just, just going to be the one to read it here. But he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And, and before we go any further... Uh, it's really, really common, first of all, for pastors to skip over this because it's a, it's a pretty in-depth list of non-encouraging things. Let's just go ahead and say that. It's also a pretty in-depth list of things that we have all done and some of us are currently doing. And uh, as a result of that, it, it doesn't make us want to, to, to read this. And then the other problem is sometimes we don't understand it. 
And, and I've even read through this and, and tried to be the pastor who blows through it very quickly to get back to the encouraging parts and the parts you like, so you're happier with you know, the Bible and all that sort of stuff. As a result, sometimes we don't understand these words. And by that, I'm not insulting your intelligence. Please, please understand, I'm, I'm not putting you down, but we don't understand the words in context. You see, some of these words, if we said, what does this mean in American law? It'd be very different from what the Bible means by it. And so if you'll allow me, for your sake, I am going to go through the list. I'm going to do it as painlessly as possible. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to get detailed about what each word means, because if, if Paul is telling us, look, this is not what God wants from you, it's hard for you to avoid something you don't know what it means. Is that good? Everybody understand that? So, so uh, try, to, try to just have a little grace on me as I go through this list. I didn't write the list. It's not a fun list, okay? So here we go. He starts out and he says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Really, Paul, you have to go there? Like, I mean, save the, the ugly one for the end of the list. Let's start out with something small. Now, he goes big from the beginning. And sexual al- uh, immorality in context of the Bible in context of what God wants for you, if we go, and I, I did the Greek word study on every one of these for you this week, so I'm, I'm giving you what the, uh, the Bible is saying by this. What it means is any sexual activity contrary to what God permits ordains. That's it. The problem is most of us would decide differently on what that means. Some of us would say it's this, and some would say it's that, and some would say, well, this is okay, and some say that's okay. I've been a youth pastor long enough to know it is not a good thing when we start defining uh, what God is okay with, what God ignores, and what God, you know, those kinds of things. So here's the real simple thing. What God ordains and what God permits is marriage between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. That's it. So everything else is what Paul's talking about. So then he goes on to the next word, says impurity. And this is any breaking of God's moral law, like lying or stealing or cheating, as well as any of the immorality we just talked about. And then his third one here you see is sensuality. And this is where we just lack in that moral restraint. And what we want instead is to pursue desires of the flesh. So he goes on with his list. Fun list here, Paul. Thank you. Idolatry and sorcery. And so idolatry, uh, most of us think that it's like worshiping idols, right? And Well, it is by definition, but what we mess up on is what we think an idol is. I grew up going to church, and I remember in Sunday school they talked about idolatry is when they worship idols. And they would show us the picture, because, you know, in Sunday school you have pictures on the wall. And it was everybody bowing down to a golden calf. It was a story in the Old Testament that Aaron, Moses' brother, had made a golden calf, and everybody's bowing down to it. And so I grew up thinking, well, I don't bow down to a statue, so I'm good. And a lot of us would say, I don't struggle with idolatry because I don't bow down to a statue. But I'm going to tell you the truth. If anybody in here actually is willing to stand up and say, you don't struggle with idolatry, I'm backing up a step. Because it's a lie. See, idolatry is not a statue that you bow down before. Idolatry is, is when we put our affection and attention above God. So we would say, well, I don't worship anything other than God, meaning you don't go to a building for an hour and sing songs to something else. You may try to think of it that way. That's not what that, again, it is putting affection and attention before that. And many of us, we put our affection and our attention on our career or on our money or on our family or on ourselves or on whatever. So the truth, you know, I could do an all-inclusive list of, of, because at some point, every single one of us, we struggle to always have God first, which is idolatry. And then he says sorcery, which is the use of magic and spells, and catch this one, drugs. 
That's right, they even struggled with that back then. This is not a new thing that the 70s or the 60s came up with, y'all. Uh, this has been going on forever. But it's the use of magic spells and drugs to escape your natural to pursue something not natural, particularly spiritual, without God. And that is still happening today where we want something. We don't want God, but we want to get outside of our natural experience and we try to escape. The next one is enmity, which simply means a, a disposition. Not an occasional, but a disposition of hatred or hostility towards someone. And I think we all struggle with this too. This doesn't mean you're mad at Bob because Bob insulted you yesterday and by next week you and Bob will be good friends again. No, 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 we're not talking about an occasional upset with, with someone we're talking about a disposition. And maybe it's you, you hear about somebody in the news and you just think those people. Maybe it's that certain neighbor down the street, you know, kind of like the Hatfields and the McCoys. That was a disposition, y'all. I mean, that's one, and we've got that thing. And, and God bless you, but I'm seeing South Carolina shirts and, and Clemson shirts in the same church right there. That's, that's just awesome. But typically that, that's kind of a thing, you know, a disposition like, no, bad people. And uh, I think every one of us, we might want to say that we don't struggle with that, but I think every one of us has somebody or someone or some types of someones that, that we really have a, a hard time with. And strife is just conflict because of these kinds of things like enmity or a few other things he's going to mention, like jealousy is his next one. It's a resentment towards someone because of who they are and what they have or their position. Fits of anger. Simply means control displays of all of the above. Control display of your enmity, control display of your strife or of your jealousy or of the next one, which is rivalry. And rivalry is a division based on your own ambition. Is anybody else here a sports fan and you love rivalry week? I have to say that slow because I can't say rivalry, rivalry week. I can't do that fast. But anyway, yeah, so here, here's the thing. I love rivalry week because they put two teams against each other that hate each other. And that's what makes it so good. You get the best games when you are playing more for ego than anything else. You are playing to say, we beat you. It could be the last two teams in the polls. It could be two teams that aren't even in the polls. And as long as they beat the other one, that's all that matters. It is their season-defining moment because they hate the other person. See, a rivalry goes like this. We're going to beat you. We don't care that the, the athletic director at your school has already said if your coach loses a day, he's losing his job, and he's going to be miserable, and he can't pay for his kid's college, and he can't go. No, we don't care as long as we win. We don't care that your star player is on the bubble of maybe going pro, and if he loses this game, he's not going pro, and his whole life is going to be a mess, and he's going to be washed up, and we don't care. We just want to win. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I have never, I've been, I've been to Williams-Brice Stadium at a game, right? I've never, when Clemson comes out, I've never been like, well, no, let's wait and see everybody before we decide if we really want to win. You know, let's just, can y'all tell me about the emotional state of your team over there? You know, how, we don't care. We just want to win. It's a rivalry. The problem is that's funny when we talk about sports. It's not funny when you talk about your neighbor or your coworker. I want the promotion. I don't really care how your life works out. Or we talk about and you get the point. He goes on to say dissent, division and dissension, which is simply separating into opposing groups because of all of the things we've talked about, like the rivalry, the jealousy, and so forth. You see, here's the deal. Ordinary humans, again, we're talking about desires of the flesh. Ordinary humans are just divided. It's the, I think it's one of the main things people hate about our world. All the time, people go, man, man, it's just I saw the news and this group and that group and this country against those people and, and, and these people are doing this to those people and 
if you could like be a historian and describe the condition of the human race since the beginning, it has been divided. Divided and one against another, somebody always thinking they are better than the other one. And then he goes on, a couple more words, and he wraps it up. He says, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I guess he just got tired of listing them, things like these, etc. Good, Paul, I'm glad you guys sit there. Look, envy is just ill will towards someone because you think they have it better. You've defined it that way. Interesting thing about the drunkenness and the orgies, both of those are abuses of something God either permits or has created for good. Anywhere in Scripture that you see wine, it's always talking about a celebration, a joy. But Scripture always says, look, don't, don't abuse that. Don't take that to a point of drunkenness. And then, of course, sex is God's great gift for marriage, and that, of course, would be an abuse of that. And so he ends with this thing that scares all of us, scares the heebie-jeebies out of us, right? Y'all, y'all use that phrase? We use it here in the South, for those of you. It says, I warned you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to tell you, one of the busiest jobs I have as a pastor is reminding Christians they're not going to hell. I mean, by definition, Christians are not going to hell. And But I spend a lot of time with people. They'll come across a passage like this, and they'll make an appointment. They'll come and sit in my office and say, Pastor, oh my gosh, I was just reading the Bible, and I, I, I'm, I'm not even sure I'm, I'm going to heaven anymore. Look, nobody enjoys reading that list. And and let me just see if I can just help us all feel better for just a second. If I could just spread peace across the room. Here's the deal. Every one of us at some point has struggled with something. This list is a part of our past. For a few of us, maybe many of us, this list is a part of our current struggles. But neither of those people is who Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about you if this is a part of your past that Jesus has dealt with. He's also not talking about you if this is something that you are working to deal with, that it's something you're struggling with, but it's something you are struggling to get away from. His phrase in the Greek when he says those who practice, what he means is those who it is their acceptable, normal way of life. It means that that you hate your neighbor and hope you do better than them and you don't really care and you think that's okay for life. It means that you do whatever else is on that list and you are good with it and you don't feel bad about it and you don't care about it. He says those are the people that want to inherit the kingdom. And the reason that he's making that statement is because he's been saying all along that what the Spirit wants, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, is opposed to what the flesh wants. And so if you only do what the flesh wants, the ordinary human desires, and you don't care, then you don't have the Holy Spirit and the only one's going into the kingdom of God are the ones of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, look, I can, I can watch how you live and whether or not you're remorseful and tell you if you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's ultimately what he's trying to say. And so I, I would like to think that none of us here today are saying, I do all of those or any of those and I don't care. I'm willing to bet that all of us do care and that we are concerned about what God thinks about it. And so the good news is that he turns to something positive. Everybody glad that I'm not going to stop right there. That would be like the most miserable, honey, why did we go to church today? That was the most depressing message I've ever heard. All we heard was a long list of really bad stuff we're not supposed to do. Oh my gosh. All right, so let's go on to the positive side. So he said, look, these are the works of the flesh. And he said, they're evident. Remember when he said that? Look, you, you can just look around, you can see them. You can tell that they are coming out of ordinary human nature. Now he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. And I'm, before we go any further and look at what that list is, I, I love that he has chosen his words. Works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. 
See, works are the work. When we think work, we think exhaustion. We think things we do. We think things that we have to try really hard. And, you know, and, and, and man, this is difficult. And over here, we just think fruit. I mean, you just go and pick an apple off of an apple tree. It, it just grew. It just, that's the way it is. When we think about works, we're exhausted. And the truth is, you are exhausted from trying to be good. Or you're exhausted from trying to please your human nature and realizing if you do everything on that list, you'll wake up tomorrow and still want more. It's exhausting. On the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit. Meaning that if the Spirit is in you, this, this just grows. It's not about a striving. But the funniest thing is I'll, I'll, I'll see people, and this, we all do it, we all do it by the way. Uh, Christians who they'll come across this passage, the fruit of the Spirit is, and then they start striving to do this list. This list isn't something you do. This list is something the Holy Spirit does, and it grows out of you. Now, that's what Paul's trying to make a point of. Is look, look, don't go back to rules and don't try to make a whole new set of rules based on around the good set of ideals. This isn't about striving. Here's, here's the deal. Fruit is something that grows naturally. Apple trees were created to grow apples. Orange trees were created to grow oranges. You have never seen a tree. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I have not seen it, okay, but maybe so. I used to go with my parents. We used to go and pick peaches, like, like pick them off trees, you know what I'm saying? And never while I was in the peach orchard did I see a peach tree going, boom, peach. It doesn't do that. Peaches just grow naturally on peach trees because of what is inside of it. The genes of a peach are inside of it. It'll never grow an apple, neither easily nor with striving. But it's going to grow peaches. And here's the thing. You too were made to grow something. Ephesians 2 says that you were created God's personal handiwork, not mass production, but every single one of you. You were created Kent. You were created Scott. You were created to be Scott. Every one of you was created to be who you are, to do, to grow. It's not, we, when we preach that verse, we're usually talking about your, your skills and your talents, and yes, absolutely, but also to grow the nature of God out of you. You were created for that. It, it, it's going to come out naturally. And so as we look at the list of what Paul says is going to come out of us naturally, again, don't think of this, oh, i got to try harder to do that one. Oh, i got to strive more to make an apple grow on a peach tree. No, no, no. If peaches aren't growing and you're supposed to be a peach tree, the question is why aren't peaches growing? In other words, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and the stuff that comes out of the Spirit's not coming out of you, that's the only question. You don't need to try harder to fake it. You need to ask what's wrong, where's the disconnect if the Spirit of God already lives in you? And so here's the list he gives us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and equally, I don't want to concentrate on the bad list. I, I'm going to walk you through the good list here real quickly as well. Love means to have an affection and a high regard for. And so I'm going to ask you this question. The people in your life, your next-door neighbor, your coworkers, and your friends, would they believe that you have a high regard for them? And he says joy. It's a state of gladness a state yes it's a state it means you you have a condition of gladness isn't that funny like if you've got a disease you say i have a condition you wish it'd go away even when you don't want it to be there it's there and you'd say how can i have a state of joy see it goes like this your tire is flat it is raining it is dark the spare is flat your cell phone died Come on, this is a pretty miserable situation, isn't it? You're on the side of the road and you're like, this is as bad as it gets. No, it's not. It can get worse. You could die and go to hell. 
but you're not. And if you're not going to hell, are you seriously going to get that upset about a flat tire and a shower at the same time? <laughs> this is where our problem comes in. We let our state of being be determined by something that is so temporary and so stupid at the end of the day. So you're wet, big deal. You get wet when you take a shower. Your clothes are wet, big deal. You put them in the washer, they get wet. Your tire's flat, so what? It's going to get air in it. You're going to get a new one. That's the best. You're going to get a whole brand new tire. You don't have to worry about this for a while to come. My winning lottery numbers are not winning. Oh, no. Yeah, you won the lottery. Somebody died for your sins. You're going to have eternal life. You are forgiven. You are right with God. And, and that's what creates a state of gladness that is greater than whether or not somebody just got your order wrong at a restaurant and somebody burned your pancakes. So just make more pancakes. But your gladness and your joy shouldn't leave you. Here's the next one. He says, peace. Guess what? That is also a state. It is a state of freedom from inner turmoil. Whoa, that's deep. It's a state of freedom from the anxiety, the worry, the stress, the guilt. Look, if you've talked to God about what's going on in here, then that guilt has been dealt with. And anything else is a lie from the enemy. And we are at peace inside. Then he says patience. Come on, anybody like me? I don't like that word. I don't like patience. People talk all the time like, Pastor, you need to pray for me. I asked God to give me patience. I'm just saying, I ain't praying for you. That's your own stupid fault. <laughs> you got sick? I'll, I'll pray for you if you're sick. You got a pro I'll pray for that. You, you go ask God to give you patience. That's your own stupidity. I'm ne I've never, I'm 47, I've never asked God to give me patience, and I never intend to. See, when I hear the word patience, I think slow, I think waiting, bored, and got better stuff to do. That's what I think of patience. And uh the good news for you and, and for me is when I was doing my word study for this message this week, I found out I was wrong. It's not what patience means. Patience doesn't mean slow. It also means a state of emotional calm while facing pressure. Now, typically, the reason we've learned to use that word that way is we're facing pressure to get something done or to have something turn out a certain way. We need it, and we need it now, and so we're in a hurry, and when somebody says, have patience, what they mean is you, you need to get your spirit calm in the midst of that circumstance because that circumstance is not bigger than your God. But we have turned have patience into just slow down, drive 35, even though it's 55. No, I passed those people. <laughs> Kindness. Kindness is treating someone in a way that benefits them. When you ever, you see somebody like, hey, why don't you go ahead in front of me in line? And we say, oh, that's very kind. Exactly. You just benefited them. Doing anything that benefits them is kind. Goodness means a moral quality that represents God. We say God is good. When we say God is good, what we mean is God is everything we expect him to be. He is meeting the fullness of his own quality that we expect. And so when we are displaying goodness, we're displaying the fullness of God's moral quality. Faithfulness, that you'll do what you say and be who you say you are. It simply means people can count on you, they can trust you, they can depend on you. Because if you say, yeah, let me hold your wallet, I'll give it back, they know that you're going to give it back with everything in it. If you say, I'll be there at 10 o'clock, they know you'll be there at 10 o'clock, unless you have that flat turn on the side of the road and your cell phone is dead. They know you're going to be there, right? Because you do what you say you will do, you are who you say you are. And he says gentleness, and this is simply treating people in a way that is in contrast with harshness and the last one self-control to exercise you're going to hate this word complete control of your desires and your actions and he finishes by saying against such things there is no law 
Again, he comes back to the, against such things, there's no guardian. See, if you're doing these things, there's no guardian that helps you figure out what to do because the Spirit of God is in you, already telling you exactly what to do. There's, there's no need for anything else. And then he closes out with, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the ordinary human desires and its passions. The ordinary human ways. I've got a crazy idea for you. I, I think things are always better when they're tangible. And so as a youth pastor, I'd always come up with the, the funnest, weirdest things to make things memorable. Uh, we've had times I've had kids write things down and we set them all on fire and all sorts of things. And well, the truth is today, you could very easily say, yep, identify with that one, pastor. Now I'm just going to go to lunch and my biggest mental focus is, am I going to have a burrito or tacos? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to do something. It's going to be a little weird. It's a youth pastor kind of thing. You know, youth pastors have those ideas where they do them and then the pastor yells at them the next morning. Good news, I can assure you the pastor is not going to yell at me for this. Y'all didn't get that one. That word right there, crucified, means nailed to a tree. But I have crucified my ordinary desires, my ordinary human ways. So if I could right now, I would pass out a sticky note to every single one of you. And I would say to write on that sticky note whatever was on that list that you struggled with the most. Are you struggling with, with your sexual immorality according to God's definition? Are you struggling with a disposition toward a group of people and you don't like them? Are you struggling with hating other people and rivalry and jealousy? Are you what are you, what's the one or the two I say, write that down, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you to do something crazy. Go home, go into your backyard, nail it to a tree. Literally, nail that post-it note to a, a tree. Because here's the thing, post-it notes are brightly colored. And when you do this, something's gonna remind you. When you start to act that way, when you start to feel that way towards those people, you start to do something, you're not just gonna forget something that I preached one day. You're going to remember that bright yellow sheet of paper that you see every morning when you look out your back window. And it's going to trigger something. I promise you, when you make it more tangible, and you're going to think, you know what? Not today. Not, not today. Today, I have nailed that to a tree. Because you're going to have the literal physical image of that post-it note stuck somewhere. If you don't own a tree, use your neighbor's. Paul closes by saying, if we live by the Spirit, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see, the moral of today's message is we just have to choose. You have to choose. You cannot do both. You cannot be following the Holy Spirit while following your ordinary human desires. They don't work. They don't go together. And anytime you think they go together because I'm just such a good person, well, if that's true, it simply means the Holy Spirit has changed you. Because an ordinary fallen human does not agree with the Spirit. So the image that this actually means, again, I, I did Greek study for you all this week. This, this phrase, led by the Spirit, means to follow in single file line behind. That's all that means. Anybody remember elementary school? Every time you went somewhere, you had to be in a single file line? Yeah, okay, I remember this. And, and if you wanted to go to the lunchroom to eat, you want to go to the cafeteria, you had to get in a single file line before the teacher would even open the door. 
And, and if you stayed in that single file line and followed the leader, and remember when you were in elementary school, the most exciting thing is if you ever got to be the leader. Like, <laughs> who cares? But it was a big deal then. And, and so you, you have to follow the leader. If you follow the leader and you stay in line, you get to the cafeteria and you get pizza and chocolate milk, which was my favorite elementary school meal. But if you get out of line, you have to go talk with the teacher and you don't get pizza and chocolate milk. This phrase simply means go where the Spirit is going. If the Holy Spirit sees immorality there, he's going to turn this way and so are you. If the Holy Spirit sees lying and cheating there, he's going to turn this way. And if you're following him, so will you. Because every now and then in elementary school, we had a teacher who was a little bit fun and wanted to train us how to follow the leader. And he or she had secretly whispered to the leader, you don't have to walk in a straight line. You might remember that. I remember doing that where the leader got to walk down the hall like this. And we looked like a centipede following him, doing that same kind of thing, right? And you weren't allowed to cheat. And just go, I'm going to go straight because I know what the, no, no, no. So the point is when the Holy Spirit goes, you go. And when the Holy Spirit goes there, you go. It's simply a choice. Am I going to follow what the nature of God in me is saying or am I going to follow what the brokenness in me wants? So when I was in college, I had just, I'd simply gotten sick of myself. And I'm hoping that some of you are in the same place today. I, I, was, I was going to church every week. But in between, I was doing some stuff I knew that was on that list, some other things that are in the Bible in other places. I knew things that the Bible said don't do and things that God didn't want. And I, I was just sick of being fake. I was sick of the contradiction. I don't like fake. I don't like margarine. I only like butter. And, and, and I, I just don't do fake. And I really didn't like it when I was fake. And at some point, it just all crashed. And I was reading through my Bible and came across this verse and realized this is not what was growing out of me. It's not what was coming. So I memorized this verse so that I could start to, to ask myself throughout the day, was that what the Holy Spirit would have come out of you? Is that what the Holy Spirit wants for you? And so what I want to do, I'm having to put this verse back on the screen for you right now. We're going to look at it together. I think everybody should memorize this one. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you a test, but I do think everybody should. If you're a parent, you definitely should because this is how you help your children. But I'm going I'm to give it a little pointer here. This is cool how uh, Paul wrote this to make it easy for you. There are exactly nine words, which is three groups of three. And the first three have something in common. They all have one syllable. And the next three have something in common. They all have two syllables. And the next three have something in common. They all have three syllables. And, and so they, it just kind of flows off your tongue over time. You get used to it. And people will say something, and I'll quote this verse really fast, and they think I'm showing off as a pastor. I'm not showing off as a pastor. I, I've quoted this verse in my head for over 25 years now. It just... It's just easy. And I hope it'll become very easy for you too. Just because of the way it is, the fruit of the Spirit is, say this with me, love, joy, peace. Ready? Love, joy, peace. Those are your one syllables. Then we got three that are in two syllables. Patience, kindness, and goodness. Say this with me. Patience, kindness, goodness. And then the last three are in three syllables. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's do that together. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you'll get to where you can just walk around and say, you know what? The Holy Spirit in me is growing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you'll just start to say, the way I just spoke to that person, yeah, that wasn't gentle. You know what? That means the Holy Spirit walked that way. When they said something stupid, I got closer and got more stupid. Yep, that wasn't the fruit of the Spirit. And you begin to see it. 
not about striving. It's just about that single file line. All you got to do is say, okay, God, where are you going today? Hey, God, did you hear what they said to me? What do you want me to say? And he says, walk away. You go, okay. Don't speak. Don't do. Do. Go. All we got to do, single file line. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much that you are so good to us that we don't have to follow an elaborate set of rules to be right with you, but your son came and died for us, providing a way. We thank you that beyond that, you know our struggle. We know the Bible tells us that Jesus himself faced temptation so that he understands our temptation. And God, most of all, we thank you that you put your spirit living inside of us so that all we have to do is follow. We just follow. We will experience your fruit growing out of us. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that, well, maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit because you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus as your king. Maybe you're not sure that you're forgiven and going to heaven because you do struggle with these and, well, you're curious. Do I need Jesus? And the answer is yes. You see, at some point in time, every single one of us needed to interact with the truth. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, but when he did it, it was for you. And at our point in history, each one of us has to make that exchange where we look him in the face, say, thank you that you died for me. Now I'm going to live for you. And if you've never done that here today, if you're not sure that you're forgiven, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living within and you've never exchanged a life where you're in charge for the one where he is king, I want to help you do that right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just right where you're seated, I'm going to help you have a conversation. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. And I thank you that I am forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.